When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome once again. It's the Throwback League, and I'm your host, Josh Lewin. This is a 48-team tournament celebrating baseball nostalgia. Players you haven't thought about in a long time. We reanimate them for you. We play a game each week for 48 weeks involving the 32 World Series champions from the mid-70s right through the mid-double-O's. We add an at-large field of 16 pennant winners to round out the field. Then we simulate the games on the whatifsports.com algorithm. Great website if you haven't checked it out yet. Our website is getting there. Track the progress of the brackets. Go to thethrowbackleague.com or thethrowbackleague.com, however you pronounce that word. Already, we have seen the 74 A's move on. The 77 Dodgers. The Albert Pujols-infused 06 Cardinals are there. The 01 Diamondbacks last week rallied past Luis Tiant and the 75 Red Sox. So the top left corner of your bracket has been completed. Now we dive in with another Red Sox team, this time the 86 version that lost to the Mets. Therein is a 12 seed against a 5 seed, the defending World Series champions of the early 90s, Cito Gaston's 1993 Toronto Blue Jays. This one will be played at Fenway, as you can probably tell from the organ music playing behind me here. The winner will advance to play the 4 seed down the road in this region. That is the 1991 Minnesota Twins. Not often we have these first-round games clumped so close together in terms of time gone by. We did our best to kind of spread out the generations as we did with the 74 Braves against the 92, I'm sorry, the 74 uh, A's against the 92 Braves is how we started. The 77 Dodgers and 96 Yankees, we did that one. This is the rare game that pits two teams from around the same point on the time-space continuum. Basically, this is the exact amount of run the TV show Perfect Strangers got. Debuted in 86, sputtered to an end in 93. Bronson Pinchot is Balky Bartokomus. Anyone? I know this is a pretty deep dive pop culture-wise even for me, but if you remember that Mark Lynn Baker was the other dude on this show, you should probably win a prize. That or get a life. ABC's TGIF Friday Night lineup. This is a staple. Now we're so happy we do the Dance of Joy. Pause the podcast here if you're under the age of 35. Google perfect strangers and try not to laugh at how lame we all were around this point in time. Good luck. These lyrics. Standing tall on the wings of my dreams. How would you even do that? Is there a ladder involved? Anyway, uh, let's start this preview in 1993 when, yes, the Blue Jays won the title again, this time over the Phillies, when Joe Carter hit the walk-off homer off Mitch Williams. This was the final season of two divisions play in each league. Central divisions weren't added until the next year. The American League, of course, had expanded from 12 to 14 teams a while ago. Now the National League in 93 has done it. The Rockies and the Marlins are teams now. Andres Galarraga, the big cat, was Denver's uh, first Major League Baseball superstar. He won the National League batting title. He hit 370 at Mile High Stadium. John Olerud hit 363 in the American League. We will hear from him in a bit. Colorado, managed by Don Baylor of the 86 Red Sox, actually finished ahead of the San Diego Padres that year. The expansion Marlins ahead of the Mets, who lost 103 times, leading to the dismissal of Jeff Torborg. George Brett singled in his final Major League at bat in 93. Nolan Ryan threw his last Major League pitch in 93. Kirby Puckett was All-Star Game MVP on a sweltering night in Baltimore. 
the rookies of the year that year. They were both based in Southern California. Mike Piazza with the Dodgers, Tim Salmon with the Angels, Greg Maddox and the White Sox, Jack McDowell were your Cy Young winners. The MVPs were Barry Bonds and Frank Thomas. Alex Rodriguez was the first pick of the June draft at a high school in Miami. Reggie Jackson went into the Hall of Fame and is number 44, Ruth uh, retired by the Yankees. Off the field in 1993, well, Jay Leno was the new king of late night. Ted Danson wore blackface during the Rose for Whoopi Goldberg at the Friars Club, not well received. The movies were Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, and Sleepless in Seattle. We were introduced to the Got Milk ad campaign. We were told that the truth is out there by David Duchovny on the X-Files. Murphy, Brown, and Coach were the big TV shows. Remember Coach with Craig T. Nelson? Goal, Minnesota State. We should mention that in 93, yes, uh, Michael Jackson was accused of molesting minors. River Phoenix OD'd. Those were the less pleasant things. But the nerds were busy playing Magic the Gathering. We were all turning our, our hats all sideways and backwards, uh, wickety-wickety-whack, etc. Uh, Beanie Babies had just hit the market. So overall, pretty swell time to be an American, all in all. As for Canadians, well, uh, things were going quite nicely there, too, eh? The Montreal Canadiens won Lord Stanley's Cup. Toronto learned that NBA expansion would arrive in a year and a half. The baseball team was shut out just once that year in Toronto. 95 wins, control of the AL East, beat the White Sox in the ALCS, then turned back the Phillies in Game 6 of the Fall Classic. White, Alomar, Molitor, Carter, Olerud batting first through fifth most games. They were nicknamed Whamco. If you do the, uh, the first initials of those last names, it's Whamco. And when Ricky Anderson joined him, he was put second in the batting order. It still worked. He just had a silent H in there, Whamco, at that point. A lot of the uh, 92 World Series winners had moved on for the Blue Jays, so there certainly was some doubt about whether or not they could do it again. Paul Molitor came in, though. Dave Stewart came in with GM Pat Gillick pulling those strings. But it was left to manager Cito Gaston, now the winningest manager in Blue Jays history. He didn't have a perfect pitching staff in 93, but he made things work. He won a lot of games 10-8 to and 11-9. to and it wasn't just the stars. Turner Ward, Darren Jackson had some big hits. Willie Kenyatte had a walk-off home run. Dwayne Ward led the league in saves. He had 45. Guys like Mark Eichhorn and Tony Castillo got big outs in the 7th and 8th. Juan Guzman, 14-3. and three. Pat Hinkin, 19-9. The two youngest guys in the rotation ended up being the best. As for the starting lineup in this one, with Hinkin on the mound, the hitters submitted by Cito Gaston. Here they are. As follows. Leading off, they go two switch hitters in a row. It's Devon White in center, followed by Tony Fernandez at short. John Olerud is at first just 24 years old, having a remarkable season. Paul Molitor, he's now 36, he's the DH. Roberto Alomar is at second. Joe Carter, now 33 years old, is in right. Ed Sprague, 25, playing third base. Had himself a solid year. Pat Borders, the catcher, nine home runs for him. Darnell Coles gets his start in left. He had four home runs, hit 253. Of course, Ricky Henderson is available, among others, off the bench. So there's the road team, 93 Toronto Blue Jays. As for the home team, the team that almost won it all for the first time since 1918, we're going to get you going on the 86 Red Sox. And to wet your whistle, here's our pregame analyst, the longtime voice of Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN, Here's the great John Miller. The 1986 World Series ended up being a classic in the same vein as the 75 World Series. Red Sox-Mets in 86, Red Sox-Reds in 75. By 86, I remember thinking, wow, apparently if the World Series is at Fenway, then it's going to be a classic. So uh, it went seven, but it's always remembered for game six and the ball going through Buckner's legs uh, to the culmination of a dramatic rally uh, to come from behind against impossible odds, seemingly, for the Mets to win and extend it to Game 7. For me, it's not so much about Buckner as to being, why was Buckner still in the game? Uh, manager John McNamara, veteran manager, had been removing Buckner for defense when he was ahead late in games routinely. Why didn't he? He always said later... But he, he wanted Buckner to be on the field uh, because he was such a, an important guy and had been playing hurt all this time and so on and so forth. Well, not 
good enough, I don't think. Uh, he shouldn't have been in there. And Buckner had to wear it all these years. But uh, uh, so to me, that, that there's a tragic element to that. And Bill Buckner, who, who passed away uh, just within the last couple of years, uh, and a great guy, very well liked, very well respected, but he had to wear that for all those years. And Red Sox fans sort of ultimately embraced him, and uh, uh, in a ceremony, if they 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 cheered him and sort of forgave him, I guess. But uh, uh, to me, there was a sort of a, a, a tragic aspect to that to that World Series. You never want to see that on that stage uh, for a game to turn on something like that. Thank you, John. Yeah, the 86 Sox will forever be tormented by that question of what if Buckner had been on the bench. But even before that, you know, 14 different pitches could have ended the World Series right there and then in the last of the 10th inning at Shea Stadium in Flushing. Way before that, you go back, Dwight Evans at the first pitch of that 86 season out of the park in Detroit against Jack Morris, who would become a Toronto Blue Jay. He, uh, he said he decided two months before that swing he'd go for the first pitch of the season no matter what. Pretty cool moment to open the year. Four weeks later, cold and misty when Roger Clemens struck out 20 Seattle Mariners. There was a dropped foul pop at first that allowed for 20 instead of 19. And the city of Boston otherwise distracted that night. At Boston Garden that evening, it was playoff basketball. Larry Bird against Dominique Wilkins. 86 Red Sox spring training at Chano Lakes Park in Winter Haven, Florida. They, they came north. They won 95 games and the AL East. Their ALCS victory against the star-crossed Angels was ridiculous. The Sox had fallen behind three games to one in the best of seven when the Angels won an extra innings in game four. Light hitting Gary Pettis had a big ninth inning double. Brian Downing was hit by a pitch with the bases loaded to tie it up. Bobby Gritch won it with an RBI single off Calvin Schiraldi. But game five, the Red Sox went ahead with four in the ninth. They gave it back when the Angels tied it in the bottom of the ninth. Dave Henderson, who had deflected a ball over the left field fence for a Bobby Gritch home run, homered himself off Donnie Moore. And the Sox went ahead and saw the game tied on a Rob Wilfong run-scoring hit off Joe Sambito. Boston winning it in the 10th on the Hindu sack fly. They then flew back to Boston and annihilated the Angels in Game 6 and 7. Well, the World Series, uh, they, they had it in the bag. And forget Game 6 and Game 7, they were up 3-0 in the 6th inning. Yada, 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 curse of the Bambino, Buckner's the GOAT. Uh, the writer Roger Angel had the best line, I think, about the Boston inferiority complex that persisted so heavily at that time. He referred to Calvinistic clouds of self-doubt, a belief that catastrophes will happen. And they did at Chase Stadium at the very end of October. Elsewhere in baseball in 1986, besides Clemens winning the AL Cy Young, going 24-4, and uh, the Astros split finger artist Mike Scott won it in the National League. Jose Canseco and Cardinals closer Todd Worrell were the rookies of the year. Home run leaders in the AL and NL were Jesse Barfield and Mike Schmidt. Don Sutton won his 300th game. Bo Jackson said no thanks to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, time to play with the Royals. Bob Horner had a four-home run game for Atlanta. Billy Martin had his number retired at Yankee Stadium. Pete Rose struck out against Goose Gossage in his final big league at bat. As for your pop culture reminder, huh, come on. Happy to oblige. Ferris Bueller, Bueller, he cut school, went to a Cubs game with Cameron, sang Donka Shane on a parade float. Tom Cruise had the need for speed in Top Gun. Paul Hogan taught us what is and is not a knife in Crocodile Dundee. Molly Ringwald, at least in theory, was pretty in pink. Robin Williams was all over our TVs. Cabbage Patch Kids were all the rage. And sadly, the space shuttle, Challenger, disintegrated just 73 seconds into flight. On a lighter note, uh, certainly try to end it on a light note for you. Saturday Night Live featured John Lovitz telling us, yeah, that's the ticket. Bob and Doug McKenzie were over on SCTV taking off to the Great White North, eh? Uh, Joan Rivers starred in late night talk shows uh, that kind of pissed off Johnny Carson. Bobby Ewing came out of the shower on Dallas, meaning no one had really shot JR. And Geraldo Rivera told a live audience of 30 million people that he'd open Al Capone's vault. He did that and found a bunch of old candy wrappers and styrofoam cups. Everyone recovered from that disappointment in order to participate in Hands Across America. Whitney Houston believed that children were our future. Teach them well, let them lead the way, etc. Uh, and in fact, if you show them all the beauty they possess inside, really good things would happen. But anyway, let's get to the starting lineups for John McNamara's 86 American League champion, Boston Red Sox. 
Marty Barrett leads off. He's the second baseman. After that, the DH, Don Baylor. There's a pretty good team here. Wade Boggs at third base. Jim Rice in left. Dewey Evans in right. Rich Gedman, the catcher, the lefty. And then Bill Buckner, the lefty hitting first baseman. Tony Armas, only guy in the league whose name is basically four body parts. Tony Armas. Spike Owen, the switch hitting shortstop, batting number nine. On the mound, Roger Clemens, MVP and Cy Young Award winner in 86, even the MVP of the All-Star Game. And when Hank Aaron said the pitcher should not be eligible for the MVP, Clemens responded, I wish Hank Aaron was still playing. I'd probably crack his head open to show him how valuable I was. Lovely sentiment from the Rocket. 354 regular season wins. Third most strikeouts, 11-time All-Star, 7-time Cy Young Award winner. 1986, the season he says he became a pitcher instead of just a thrower. That after a, a bunch of conversations with his 86 teammate Tom Seaver. Ten years later, Clemens would leave Boston as a free agent. He joined these Blue Jays, and in each of his two seasons with Toronto, Clemens would win the Cy Young Award. About a triple, a pitching triple crown, too, led the league in wins, ERA, and strikeouts. Prior to 99, Clemens traded to the Yankees, where he won his two World Series titles, and in 01, first pitcher in big league history to start a season 20-1. and one. Prototypical power pitcher, very aggressive edge, and especially the case when he was a young man. Clemens would throw basically two pitches, 98-mile-an-hour fastball, hard-breaking ball. Later, he developed that devastating splitter to use as a, kind of an off-speed option. There would be controversies regarding Clemens, you bet. Uh, the thing with Mike Piazza, throwing a broken bat in his direction in the 2000 World Series, and that kind of cemented the surly, unapologetic image that he had cultivated. And in 09, Cito Gaston would publicly denounce Clemens as a, quote, double talker and a complete, uh, well, something you poop out of. Anyway, uh, one of Clemens' sons will end up being drafted by these Blue Jays in 2017. And as you may know, all of his kids' names begin appropriately with the letter K, K for strikeout. All right, Clemens ready? Let's play ball. Okay, Blue Jays, let's play ball. Leading off for the 93 Jays, here's a switch hitting Devon White. 275 batter, takes a fastball high. We are underway. Devon White, known for his smooth defense in center, originally broke in with the Angels in 85. And he'll take high again here. It's 2-0. His daughter, great basketball player, will play in the WNBA. Dad, a great baseball player, basketball player. Devon White turned down a scholarship to Oklahoma State. Could have played for Eddie Sutton. 2-0 pitch. It's lined, but right at first base, Bill Buckner's got it. Yes, this one he's got. Two pitches in, one out achieved. It brings up the shortstop, Tony Fernandez. And Fernandez, like White, a switch hitter. Batting left against the fireballing Clemens. 306 batter. Four homers, 50 runs batted in. Takes the ball in the dirt, 1-0. Setting that defense for you. Rice in left, Armas in center, Evans in right. Round the horn third to first, Boggs, Owen, Barrett, Buckner. Getman is behind the plate as the pitch comes in for a strike at the knees. It's 1-1. One No score, just underway at Fenway. Is it a religious shrine or just a giant arcade game? Sparky Anderson on record saying there is no mystique about this place. They should burn it down. 310 is what they say to left field now. Other estimates have had it anywhere from 309 down to 304. As the pitch comes in low and it's 2-1. and one. That green paint on the left field wall first appeared in 1947. Covering all the advertising signs, the Calvert Owl, Gem Razor Blades, Life Boy Soap, something called Vims. I think it was a vitamin. Get that Vims feeling is what they told you to do. Pitch is outside, 3-1. 30,000 pounds of Tonkin Iron. That's that wall built in 1934. The foundation of the wall goes down 22 feet below the ground. And across the street from the Monster, Aerosmith got its start at a place called Mamakins out there on Lansdowne Street. Pitch is low here. It's ball four. Tony Fernandez draws the walk. First base runner of the game. 
And it brings up John Olerud, sweet swinging lefty, 363 batting average to lead the American League. 54 doubles to go with his 24 home runs. Fernandez a lead from first. And the soft-spoken, mild-mannered native of Washington State, Olerud, is ready. Fernandez going. Olerud takes low, throw down from Gedman. He got him! No, not, not a great jump at all for Fernandez. He runs right away, takes the RBI bat out of the hands of Olerud. Pretty good throw by Gedman right down at the bag, but a questionable strategic decision to run right away. The Jay is trying to set a tone. Gedman shoots down Fernandez. So the base is clear, still no score. 1-0 the count to Olerud. Clemens with those 24 wins for Boston. Oil can Boyd had 16, Bruce Hurst 13, Al Nipper had 10. Jeff Sellers and Tom Seaver ended up being the other starters this year. Fastball in for a strike here, it's one and one. Olerud, two-time All-Star, patient, productive hitter who will end his major league career with these Red Sox in 05. Heck of a pitcher in college for the Cougars of Washington State up in the Palouse. Olerud ready again in the box against the big strong righty Clemens and the pitch blooped foul back towards section 11, third base side. And a fan in a light blue popped collar polo shirt makes the catch here in 1986. Cool Ray-Bans on that guy too. One ball, two strikes. Mentioned Olerud out of Washington State. Clemens went to the University of Texas, 19th overall pick in 84. Here's the wind, here's the pitch. Swung on, sharp grounder, but right at first base. Third hop played by Buckner. He goes to the bag, and that's it. No runs, no hits, no errors. Nobody left. And since the team from 93 is now about to take the field in this scoreless game, let's have a word from one of our 1993-era sponsors. Hey, Cookie, more pecani sauce. This ain't paste pecani sauce. What's the difference? Cookie, paste pecani sauce is made in San Antonio with fresh vegetables and spices by people who know what pecani sauce is supposed to taste like. This stuff's made in New York City? New York City? Get a rope. Pick up the original pecani sauce. Pick up the paste. As for something a little bit more modern, but certainly right in your wheelhouse, Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, fine sponsor of the Throwback League at a lot of airports. Look for them. It's a, it's a neat-looking sign. But uh, when you actually go and, and pull into one, wherever you may be, you'll find the responsibly sourced ingredients and handcrafted coffees and teas, the Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, an experience like no other, now available for a limited time. You can try their new tiramisu ice-blended or peach jasmine cold brew tea. And we wish our good friend John Fuller well. He's about to retire from Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. He's been the CEO. He has been a wonderful part of what they do. But he's leaving it in very good hands. Uh, this is a fine operation. Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf, really delicious, too. And that's kind of a key. Okay, so to the bottom of the first inning, there is no score. And the 86 Red Sox about to come up against Pat Henkin. Pat Henkin on the mound. For these 93 Blue Jays, will become a three-time Major League All-Star. 6'2", 210 pounds, Frazier, Michigan native outside Detroit. Last year, 5.36 ERA. This year, a lot better, 387. He's turned 24 years old, turned into a 19-game winner. Ian Juan Guzman becoming a homegrown one-two punch at the top of that rotation for Cito Gaston. Marty Barrett, right-hand batter, wearing number 17. He takes inside, ball one from Henkin. And Hankin will challenge you early in counts. He throws that fastball to set up the curve. Barrett, the Arizona State product, at 286 this year. Seldom ever strikes out. 32 times as an everyday player in the 86 regular season. Though he did strike out to end the 86 World Series. This pitch in, it's high. It's 2-0. Barrett, known as a good opposite field hitter. Smart player. Three times in his major league career pulled off the old hidden ball trick twice in one month a year ago. Next delivery is down in the dirt. He starts out 3-0. A knee injury pretty much wrecked the career of Marty Barrett in 89. Jody Reed will take over at second base, but Barrett just a solid heads-up player. He'll end his career with a brief stint in San Diego. 
Now the pitch. That's low, ball four. Marty Barrett is on. And we'll set that defense for you very quickly. Darnell Coles, Devon White, Joe Carter left to right in the outfield. Sprague at third, Fernandez at short, Alomar at second, Olerud at first, Pat Borders the catcher. And here's Don Baylor. 31 homers, 93 runs batted in this year. The man his teammates call Groove because he can get into one of those and carry a team. Wears 25 on his back, as he did for the Angels, the team the Red Sox beat in the 86 ALCS. Throw to first and Barrett back. Baylor, as an Angel, had one of their best ever years. He led the American League in runs scored and runs batted in in 79, played in every single game. Pitch from Henkin, fouled up near third. It skips by Red Sox third base coach Renee Latchman. Walt Reniak over there in the first base coach's box. Baylor crowds the plate. This year got hit with 35 pitches, a Red Sox record. But none of that Barry Bond-style elbow and body armor. He takes the beating, brushes off the bruise like it's lint on a suit. 267 HBPs for his career. Consider Mark Lemke played in 1,069 games, was never hit by a pitch. Baylor played in one game in 1971, was hit by a pitch. And 266 more times after that. Oh, one pitch is low, it's one and one. When Baylor was asked which HBP hurt the most, he replied, none of them. <laughs> and he charged the mound only twice in his career. The one against Dennis Leonard in 76 was a doozy. Yeah, Baylor hit 35 times in 86. The Red Sox, other players combined, were hit 31 times. Pitch is inside again. Doesn't hit him, though, 2-1. and one. Austin, Texas native, debuted as an Oriole in the early 70s. Future manager, the Rockies in 1993, the year of their inception. Then three years with the Cubs as he takes a strike on the inner half here from Henkin, 2-2. Two two. No score in the first inning. Baylor had a big home run in the Hindu game in Anaheim in 86. World Series for Boston in 86 again. Minnesota in 87, Oakland in 88. Nice run of big home runs in the postseason. He's fearless. They say he'll stand at home plate and yell at relievers coming in to face him. You're the guy I've been waiting for since batting practice. Next delivery to him. Grounder sharply hit the third. Sprague has got it. His only play to first base, Olerud on the bag in time. Barrett advances on the play. So it's the runner at second, one out. And here's Wade Boggs, 357 hitter. Only eight home runs, but 47 doubles. 71 runs batted in. And he draws in the dirt near home plate. The Hebrew word chai, meaning life before each at bat. He's not actually Jewish, but he does like that symbol. That's a guy that can seemingly hit the ball right out of the catcher's glove and foul off tough pitches till he finally gets something he can drive. Pitch to him here is low. It's 1-0. Every year, perennial contender for American League batting titles, just like Tony Gwynn, his contemporary in the National League. Twelve straight All-Star appearances, third only to Brooks Robinson and George Brett in that department at third base. Next year will be his power season, 87, 24 home runs. Pitch to him here is low, it's now 2-0. Boggs has also pitched at the big league level. Knuckleball, when called on, used that Supposedly 16 times mixed in with one fastball. Pitching against the Angels. Pitch poured in here for a strike right down the middle, two and one. One of the more superstitious players you'll ever hear about. Eats chicken before every game, wakes up at the same time every day. Same number of ground balls in practice, takes batting practice and runs sprints at exactly the same time. Pitch from Henkin coming. Sharply hit ground ball towards second. That'll move Barrett along again. Alomar tossing to Olerud for out number two. But a runner at third now. Jim Rice coming up in this scoreless first inning. 324 batter. Two Sox players in this game hit at least that high in 86. Rice and Boggs. Three for Toronto did that in 93. Olerud, Molitor, Alomar. 
Rice, an eight-time American League All-Star, in and waiting. He takes down the middle for a strike. It's nothing in one. He's got a similar look right down to the mustache of the man in the Toronto dugout, Cito Gaston, who was a heck of a hitter himself back in the day. Had a 29 home run season for the Padres in the early 70s, went to the All-Star game that summer. Also played for the Braves, very briefly for the Pirates as well. Runner at third, two out, here's the kick, here's the pitch. Swing and a blast into the alley, right center field, that's going to get down. That's going to score the run. Devon White over with Joe Carter. Carter picks it up, flings it in, but it's going to be a double. Jim Rice coasting in a second base. It's the Red Sox leading one to nothing. Boy, Jim Rice is good for a big hit, isn't he? He's standing at second base. Just a thin little smile, if that, on his face. Dwight Evans coming up. 26 homers, 97 runs batted in this year. And I'm sorry, if Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame, Dwight Evans needs to be there, too. The hitting numbers kind of showing Evans to be the better player. If you factor in defense, the disparity, I think, is eye-popping. If you like advanced metrics, well, for war, Evans, 67.1 for his career. Baines was at 38.7. As a pitch from Henkin, Rockets in for a strike. It's nothing in one. One stat Evans is quite proud of in the decade of the 80s, led the American League in home runs, led the majors in extra base hits, and he won five of his six gold gloves in this decade. So in other words, Dwight Evans dominated his era. Taking here, another called strike. It's nothing in two. Now, Dwight Evans said when he was done, you know, I came up to the big leagues when I was 20. One of the coaches said, grab a piece of cheese and wrap it around the pole. And Evan said, I looked at him and I'm going, what does that even mean? I don't even know what you're talking about. I'm 20 years old. He was trying to say grab a fastball and pull it. But that's all the instruction I got for the first several years of my career is his point. And he, he figured it out. Very easily could be in the Hall of Fame. Hard worker. Here's a pitch from Henkin. Swing and a miss. Down he goes here. Strike three to strand Jim Rice. That's the inning. But Rice with the RBI double. And at the end of one. It is the 86 Red Sox on top, one to nothing, and to celebrate 1986. Here you go. Say, bartender. Say what, little lady? Say, what'll you have? You too, this thing is contagious. Okay, what'll you have? Down home flavor. What'll you have? Country flavor. Give me a Pabst Real True Blue Ribbon. Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. Pabst Blue Ribbon. The original classic robust beer. Only Nature's Choices products provide the flavor people prize most. Pabst won its Blue Ribbon as America's favorite beer in 1893, and it's still winning people over today. So when someone asks you what'll you have, you know what to say. A uh, sing. I demand dependable flavor. I demand the taste that I savor. Straight ahead taste is what I savor in Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. Thanks, bartender. Hey, that's what I'm here for. Pabst Blue Ribbon and singing duets. You know who else was around for 1986 was Sean McDonough, just getting his feet wet as a Red Sox announcer then, basically a dugout reporter type for Nesson. Grew up a huge Red Sox fan, of course, and by 93 was in the booth for CBS, calling that World Series with Tim McCarver. So with that nexus in play, our special guest is not a player on this particular broadcast. It is Sean McDonough. When I think back to the 1986 Red Sox season, I remember I was just 24 years old, barely out of Syracuse, just starting out in a broadcasting career. Very young and in some ways a little bit anxious about covering a veteran team. It was a team really loaded with veteran players, a lot of them star players like Jim Rice and Bill Buckner and Wade Boggs, Dwight Evans, some colorful characters, Royal Can Boyd on the pitching staff. They certainly did a lot of things during the year that were memorable. It was a very important part of that team. What stands out to me about the regular season, when I thought it might be a special year, when we realized how great Roger Clemens might be, was the night in late April when he, at age 23, went out and set the major league record for strikeouts in one game with 20 against the Seattle Mariners, a team with a lot of veteran hitters in that lineup, and Roger just went out and dominated them. 
And I think to the postseason, everybody remembers the World Series, the devastating loss for the Red Sox in Game 6 to the New York Mets on the ground ball off the bat of Mookie Wilson that went through Bill Buckner's legs. There's a lot of other plays that are difficult for Red Sox fans to think back on from that game and obviously another very difficult loss in Game 7. But what gets forgotten is the Red Sox really were fortunate to be there. They had things working in their direction in the ALCS when they were down 3-1 to one against the California Angels and rallied to win Game 5 in dramatic fashion, as most people remember. The home run by Dave Henderson was the key blast in that series that got the Red Sox to the World Series. So it was really a fascinating season from start to finish and a very interesting team to be around from start to finish. When I think about the 93 Blue Jays, think about how fortunate I was to be calling the World Series for CBS. We knew going into that series that CBS was losing the contract and that this would be the last World Series that we would do, at least for the foreseeable future. So heading into that World Series was kind of a bittersweet time. Tried to make sure that we savored it. It was a lot of fun for me to cover that 93 Toronto team and the 92 team the year before that we also broadcast their World Series their World Series championship team in 92 because I knew a lot of the players on the team. I started out in broadcasting in minor league baseball in Syracuse, New York in the early and mid-80s, and they were the AAA affiliate for the Toronto Blue Jays. So I felt a personal connection to a lot of the players on that team. And there's so many memories from that World Series. Game four in Philadelphia, Toronto down 12-7, to and they rallied to win 15 to 14, one of the wild, great games in World Series history. And then, of course, just felt really fortunate to call the Joe Carter home run in Game Six when the Blue Jays rallied from six to five down. He hit that three-run homer off Mitch Williams to win the game and to end the World Series on a walk-off home run. You know, in broadcasting, you hope you're at the right place at the right time, just a couple of times. So to have a chance to call just the second game-ending World Series-ending home run in Major League Baseball history was really a blessing and I think a great way for us to end our stint as the voice of Major League Baseball on national TV. Thanks so much for Sean McDonough's weigh-in here. We're going to go to the top of the second now. one nothing, 86, Red Sox on top. Paul Molitor is the batter, known as the igniter in his playing days in Milwaukee. Never did win a championship as the face of that franchise. He spent 15 years there and did make it to Game 7 of the World Series in 82. But now he's shifted to Toronto, and now he's got that World Series ring from here in 93. Certainly a key piece of that dynamic, and he takes a fastball strike from Clemens. He's behind in the count, nothing in one. The man called Molly led the American League in plate appearances, hit 332, 22 homers, 111 runs batted in. World Series MVP as well. Pitch foul back to the net by Molitor. He's behind 0-2. Molitor DH'd all this year, but he did play Game 3 of the World Series at first base, Games 4 and 5 at third, and the games that were played in Philly did all that very well. He'll retire with a career batting average of 3.06, and the pitch to him a curve in the dirt, 1-2. and 39-game hitting streak in 87. And the amazing thing about Paul Molitor's run there, it was written by Mike Downey, great columnist, said it's not that he, he had hits in all those straight games, it's that he played in all those straight games. Sometimes had a tough time staying healthy. As the 1-2 misses low, it's 2-2. Two two. That streak ended with Molitor in the on-deck circle. Rick Manning got a game-ending hit to beat the Indians, and the fans booed Manning for driving in the winning run and depriving Molitor of the chance to get to 40 games. 2-2 <laughs> pitch. Cut on. It's a grounder to first base. There is Bill Buckner. He's making every play in this one. And he's over to the bag touching up. There is one away. We'll talk more later on about the, the raw deal Bill Buckner got for so long. But anyway, here's Alomar for now. Switch hitter wearing number 12. 326 batter this year. 17 homers, 93 runs batted in, stole 55 bases. Native Puerto Rican played for the Padres, Blue Jays, Orioles, Indians, Mets, White Sox. Went to spring training with the Diamondbacks in 05 before shutting it down. And six years later, he'd go to the Hall of Fame. Takes a fastball strike, it's nothing in one. Switch hitter batting left. 
one of the great second basemen and all-around players of all time, Robbie Alomar. More gold glove awards than any second baseman in baseball history. Four silver sluggers, too. Another strike poured in there. It's no balls, two strikes. And facing Clemens shouldn't really scare him. Alomar at age 20, his first big league hit was against Nolan Ryan. He would become an all-star in 1990 for the first time. Got there 11 more times after that. 0-2, the count to him. The pitch a curve, a swing and a miss, strike three. Alomar down on strikes. Strikeout for Clemens. Two away in the top of the second inning. Brings up another big hitter, the right fielder, Joe Carter. And another former Padre, like Alomar and Tony Fernandez. And the Blue Jays' manager, Cito Gaston. Right-hand hitter, 254 average this year, but with 33 homers, 121 runs batted in. He stole eight bases, too. And the pitch to number 29, down too low for a ball, 1-0. Carter played his college ball at Wichita State. Former Cub, former Indian, future Oriole and Giant, five-time All-Star, and yes, hit the walk-off homer to end the 93 World Series, a slider for Mitch Williams. Carter jumped up and down many times while he was running at first base. His helmet came off, and Tom Cheek, the Blue Jays radio broadcaster, said, touch them all, Joe. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. Here's the 1-0. Swing, high fly, center field playable. Tony Armas moving under it, pounds the glove. He will make that catch, and that's it in the top of the second inning. We will move ahead to further action. We do that sometimes on the Throwback League to make sure these podcasts don't go too long. Big bottom of the second inning. We'll, we'll spare you the actual play-by-play, but tell you that with one out, Buckner was the igniter. He singled in a right center. Armas walked and Spike Owen walked to load him up. And then Marty Barrett with a double into the right center alley. That chased home all three runs, made it four to nothing in favor of the 86 Red Sox. Don Baylor couldn't get him home. He popped to shallow left field, but then Wade Boggs with a slicing double in a right center. That made it five to nothing at the end of two. Nothing of note really happening in the third. Ah, but then in the fourth, a lot going on as the Blue Jays finally did get things going. In fact, they batted around. Inning started with an Ed Sprague single punched in a left. Border struck out and Cole struck out, so it was simply one on two away. But then they got busy. Devon White batting would walk. Tony Fernandez slapping a single in a right center. John Olerud, opposite field double to left center field, skimming off the warning track and up against the monster. That chased home a run. Paul Molitor followed with an RBI single. And then after that, Roberto Alomar would knock in a couple. So 5-4, Joe Carter a chance to put him ahead, but he popped to short. A one-run lead going all the way to the bottom of the fifth for the Boston Red Sox of the 86 season. And that is where we're going to pick it up. After a Wade Boggs ground out to Tony Fernandez at short, meaning it's one down here in the last of the fifth inning, Jim Rice to the plate, big number 14, taking outside from Hank, and it's 1-0. Rice already with an RBI double. Let's not forget, by the way, Jim Rice, pretty accomplished left fielder. The numbers defensively, Kind of comparable to Ted Williams, actually, in terms of just defense. That's all I'm talking about. But had a great throwing arm. Became a master at taking those caroms off the monster. Had 21 assists in 83. Pitches low to him here, 2-0. From Pat Henkin, who wears 41 on his back. He beat the Red Sox of 93 with Clemens on the mound at Fenway that spring. John Olerud had a big home run. And here's Henkin working with that blue sweatshirt underneath that gray Blue Jays uniform. He delivers outside to Rice, 3-0 now. Henkin will end up winning the Cy Young Award in 96 and get dealt to the Cardinals in 99. He had Tommy John surgery in 01, by then a Baltimore Oriole, and that was pretty much a wrap for his career. Here's the next one to Rice. That's up to high ball four. So one-out walk. Looks like some action will begin now in that Toronto bullpen. Al Leiter getting loose, the left-hander. Dwight Evans to the plate. He's had a penchant in his Red Sox career 
for late inning home runs, especially on Saturday afternoons for some reason. We're just talking about Rice's throwing arm. Boy, how about that of Dwight Evans? 75 World Series, you might remember the one-handed stab of a would-be Joe Morgan home run in the 11th. That set up Carlton Fisk's 12th inning walk-off. As the pitch comes in, it's a strike to Evans at the knees, nothing in one. 19 seasons in the outfield, 157 assists for Dwight Evans. Reggie Smith, great arm. Jackie Bradley Jr. would become a guy with a great arm. Got to put Carl Yastrzemski, his honorable mention. Guys like Andre Dawson, Mark Witten will end up playing for the Red Sox. But tough to beat Dwight Evans for that hose out there in right field. Pitch to him. Grounder to first base. Olerud's got it. He's going to go to Fernandez at second for one. That's all they're going to get. Fielder's choice. Still 5-4. 86 Red Sox on top. Two out now as we play in the last of the fifth. And Rich Gedman will be the batter. Undrafted, signed as a free agent with the Red Sox. A native New Englander from up the turnpike in Worcester. Actually made his debut for the Sox at the age of 20, pinch hitting for Carl Yastrzemski. Takes a strike. It's nothing in one. Then in 81, Carlton Fisk granted free agency, signed with the other Sox, the White Sox. Gedman shared catching duties with Gary Allenson that year. As he takes here outside, it's one and one. And Gedman here in this 86 season, he was Clemens' battery mate for that 20 strikeout game against the Mariners. Two-time All-Star in and waiting. And the pitch skipping up there. Blocked nicely. Two balls and a strike now. Caromed up the third base line just a little bit. But Pat Borders all over it. We talk about Baseball's getting away from a catcher, though, and yeah, I know Sox fans will remember game six. Sox leading by a run, Kevin Mitchell at third, Mookie Wilson at bat. Bob Stanley threw the pitch, Gedman didn't handle it, scored a wild pitch. Borderline, could have been a pass ball, too, and then the, the whole Bill Buckner drama. Pitch is high here, three balls and a strike. Possible that Henkin might be tiring a bit. Gedman reached base in all five at-bats of that Great game five of the 86 ALCS. Had a two-run homer, was hit by a pitch in the ninth that set up the dramatic Dave Henderson two-out home run where he spun around as he ran to first base. Pitch coming to Gedman. Line drive, right field base hit. Joe Carter plays it in. It's going to be two on, two out now. First and second for Bill Buckner. Already with a hit and a run scored. All right, let's do this thing. True story. Bill Buckner's Major League debut back in September of 69. His Dodgers lost to the Giants in walk-off fashion. The winning run scored how? A ball through the legs of one of the visiting team's infielders. In that case, it was Maury Wills. Foreshadowing much? You know, Buckner gave an interview, believe it or not, before Game 1 of the 86 World Series. His quote was, Your greatest hope is you help your team win it all. Your greatest fear is a ball goes through your legs or something and the winning run scores. Seriously. Pitch to him is low. It's 1-0. You know, Ray Knight was going to be the GOAT of that game. His throwing error in the seventh had given Boston a 3-2 lead. Instead, Ray Knight ended up the MVP. A famous Mets announcer used to say baseball is a game of redeeming features. You know, Buckner was on deck when Marty Barrett struck out to end game seven with a runner on. Had Marty Barrett reached, Buckner could have potentially said, baseball's a game of redeeming features. Pitch a strike, and the count one and one. 5-4, 86 Red Sox leading. John McNamara admonished Oil Can Boyd, who started hugging him with two outs in the ninth inning in game six. Told him, don't do that, come on. And sure enough, uh, <laughs> some crazy stuff happened. Pitch coming in to Bill Buckner. He swings, he bloops it in the right field. It's dropping quickly. It's down for a base hit in front of Joe Carter. Run coming in. It'll be first and second still with two out. Dwight Evans has scored. And the Red Sox have opened up a 6-4 lead. That's going to do it for Pat Henkin. 
Young Al Leiter ready in the bullpen, and he will come on. And we will again move ahead to further action. Not a lot of further action in this one, believe it or not. Al Leiter came on, got Armas retired, and did a nice job the rest of the way. Three and a third innings of two-hit relief to keep the Blue Jays close. But Clemens would go nine, ending up striking out eight. He had one little tricky inning. That was the eighth inning when he had two on, one out. But he popped up Paul Molitor, got Robbie Alomar to ground out. That ended the thread in the eighth. And then in the ninth, with it still being 6-4, to four, 86 Red Sox, Joe Carter, a single to lead off, but Sprague banged into a double play. Pat Borders retired, and that was that. Borders and Coles, the 8-9 and nine batters, they ended up 0-8 with five strikeouts, five of the eight recorded by Clemens. And as for the Red Sox, Marty Barrett, probably the, the key hit. Had that three RBI double in the second inning, had three of the runs batted in. Buckner ended up with a run batted in, a couple of hits. You just heard that one. Wade Boggs had an RBI. Jim Rice on base a couple times had an RBI. So the 86 Red Sox move on. They're going to face the 91 Twins eventually. Six runs, eight hits, no errors for them. Four, seven, and one for the 93 Blue Jays. The 12 seed upends the 5 seed. It's just like March Madness in so many ways here. Next up, the game that will drop next week. We hope you'll enjoy a 9 seed against an 8 seed. It's going to be the 1990 Oakland A's against the 2000 New York Yankees. Yeah, that's the one to look forward to. We're hoping to have Dennis Eckersley on, the closer for those 90 A's, to talk about his remembrances. And as always, John Miller will have some opening comments for you. Bob Costas, by the way, will have a few of those as we move along as well. But for now, happy to have John Miller doing that. Very happy to have you as a listener. Best thing you can do for us, if you don't mind, is simply spread the word. Not too many people have caught on to this yet. We haven't really gone viral at this point, at least as of this recording. But we're only five games into the season here. The 86 Red Sox have moved on, whereas the 75 Red Sox did not. But, uh, yeah, tell people that this thing is out there. You can download it on, on iTunes, of course. You can subscribe to it. Leave us a positive review if you wouldn't mind. A little five-star Uber rating kind of thing. That always helps. Thanks to our fine sponsor, Coffee Bean and Tea Leaf. More sponsors to come, I got to hope, once people figure out that this thing actually lives. This is Josh Lewin, and I promise not to gum it up with too many uh, outside interests, but, you know, we got to have commercials. Everybody's got to have commercials. We congratulate the 86 Red Sox for beating the 93 Blue Jays, the final again, 6-4. to four. This is the Throwback League. Thanks so much for tuning in. <laughs>